The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. But those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit of life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. This passage of Scripture has caused me to spend much time in prayer, searching after what is the meaning of this passage. What is the deeper meaning of the passage? Particularly, verse 7, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Literally, he's saying the sinful mind is hostile to God. He's not really speaking about the physical mind. He's speaking about a decision that is made in the mind to be hostile to God. We don't understand this very well in our culture because most of us have not really been confronted with the enmity, the anger, the hatred that is in the heart of every man toward a holy and just God. This enmity is a voluntary state of mind. It is that state of supreme selfishness which all of us have walked in or do walk in now. 
This is the natural condition of a man or woman before they have been converted to God. Now, unfortunately, in our culture, conversion to God does not require us to lose our enmity and our hatred for God. It is simply buried beneath a whole religious exterior. The reason we never deal with the enmity of our heart toward God is because we're never confronted with true righteousness and true holiness. And so a man who hates God can go to church, he can sing songs of praise and worship, he can put money in the tithe offering plate, he can even be an elder or the preacher of the church. But he's never been confronted in the depths of his heart with the true condition of the selfishness of his soul. If ever he were to be confronted fully with the wickedness of his heart, great enmity would rise up, bitterness and anger would flow out of his heart. And on occasion, God will catch a man or a woman. He will put them into a prison. He'll put them into circumstances where they cannot break out. He'll put them as he did Joseph in a, a slavery position, a prison position. And there the full heart of man begins to be exposed as the rage rises up. How can God treat me this way? How dare he treat me this way? So because most of you listening to this broadcast have never been brought to the end of yourself, much of the enmity and anger and bitterness toward God has never been aroused. It is natural to man to be in a place of supreme selfishness. It is a state of the mind. It is a state of the mind with which we are born. It's apparent very early after birth. The gratification of the appetite is made the supreme object of desire and pursuit. You see that even in an infant wailing because they want their bottle, impatient with mama to get food in their mouth. It literally becomes the law of the life of a person who does not follow Jesus Christ, who has not been born from above. This law of the life that says, I want what I want, and I will do whatever is necessary to attain my goal of comfort, of fame, of success, of money. Some of you listening to this broadcast today will never be satisfied until you have proven you can become a wealthy man or woman. It's not truly what you wish to do with that money as much as it is the ego satisfaction of being able to say, I'm the best of the best. I am successful. I am God. 
Now, this law functions in the members of this person and it wars against anything that is serious about Jesus. The sinner conforms their lives and all of their actions to this rule which they have established for themselves, which is a voluntary selfishness, a controlling and abiding preference for self-gratification above the commandments, above the authority, and above the glory of God. And so the church becomes a wonderful place for a sinner man to show up and be improved a bit, to have some self-improvement demonstrated, to gain the trust of others, and to be placed in positions of authority Many vestries and boards and other administrative bodies of churches are filled with these men and women. They have money, they have personality, they have power, but they are essentially utterly selfish in their hearts. Oh, they will give. They will be generous at times but only because it furthers their own personal goals of being shown to be successful, of being fawned over, of being loved by others. Now, it should be well understood and always remembered that this carnal mind, as used by the apostle, is not the mind itself. It is a voluntary action of the mind that completely entraps a person, that completely takes over control of a person, and they cannot be delivered of this outside of the blood of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this is not a physical condition. That's what I'm saying. Selfishness is not a physical condition. Having a mind of the flesh, a carnal mind, is not a physical condition. This same mind can be transformed by the presence and power of Jesus. And so the mind of Christ takes the same physical mind and turns it into something glorious and beautiful that is utterly self-sacrificing and self-denying. It is not the physical body that is evil. It is the mind that has chosen to go with Satan. That's why every man is responsible before God for his own sin, I will not be punished for Adam's sin. I will be punished, if so, for my own sin. And every person is responsible before God for their behavior. In other words, the sinful mind prefers self-gratification. It prefers 
not walking in obedience to God. The gratification and the supreme object of gratifying myself sets me against the God of heaven because he is the one who desires full authority and control over my life. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, it was Eve who fell to the tempter's snare to say, you can decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. Remember, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So this human person can make decisions about what is best for them. They can choose the good. So a man or woman who is not converted to Jesus Christ can decide to not be a drunkard. They can choose not to smoke. They can choose not to be a glutton. They can choose many different kinds of ways to behave, ways that would give them a clear indication knowing that they have the freedom of choice. But they are bound by sin. They are bound by sin. The mind of man is in absolute enmity against the character of Jesus and the requirements of God. God requires us to subordinate all of our appetites of body and mind to his glory, to aim supremely at honoring and glorifying Jesus. To love him with all of our hearts is to bring all of our powers of body and mind under obedience to the law of love. And whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do all to the glory of God. Now, the sinful mind, the mind of the flesh, the carnal mind, is the direct opposite of this. It's pursuing as a supreme end that which is in direct opposition of the requirements and character of God. It is a choice, a preference, an abiding personality, a disposition of the mind, even though it's detrimental to the person. Now, the Bible speaks of men as possessing one nature, one common heart, one core. The text that I've shared with you in Romans 8-7 does not say that the carnal mind or the flesh mind of some men are enmity against God. It says that all men are enmity enmity or anger or bitterness or hostility toward God. Every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts, of our hearts who walk in sin, is only evil continually. The heart of the sons of man is 
full of evil and madness. Full of evil and madness in the inner part of a man's soul. Unconverted men throughout the Bible are spoken of as having a common heart. And what the Bible asserts is seen as a matter of fact in Scripture. Go throughout all of the ranks of the human family, from the very sensitive, intuitive person to the angry warrior, to the man who is full of blasphemy, to all men, present to them all the claims of God and the gospel of his Son, and then require them to repent and give their hearts to God, and with one assent, they will say that's impossible. That's impossible. Can't do it. Why? Because man is possessed by his own wickedness, his own lust for comfort, his own lust for his will and his way. The only way that can be broken is by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the calling of the loving voice of God saying, come and let me change you. But in order for that to happen, a person has to come to a place where they recognize their hatred of God And they finally say, I've had enough. I can't walk this way anymore. Life simply has become too painful for me. If I continue this course, I'm going to die. If I continue walking this way, there is no hope for me. I have to be a better person. I can't continue this tirade of wickedness in my life. And some men reach that point, and they simply commit suicide because They don't know of any way out except to end their misery and their pain as Robin Williams did by simply killing themselves by suiciding. A young man graduated from high school, lived with his mom and stepdad, and all he would do is sit in his room depressed. They took him to a psychologist. They took him weekly. They put him on meds. They did everything they could for him. And finally, they said, either you have to go out and get a job, or we're going to put you out of the house. And so they put him out of the house. They gave him plenty of warning. He walked out. He said, I don't want anything. It was winter. He took his coat, clothes on his back. He walked out. He went to a nearby highway, and he waited for a semi-truck, and just as the semi-truck was almost upon him, he leaped out in front of it and was instantly killed. I had to do his funeral, one of the most painful funerals I think I've ever done. 
this young man simply could not come to terms with the darkness of his heart. And that darkness finally overwhelmed him. And he suicided. Most of us don't reach that point. But that is the final end. If a man truly comes to terms with the darkness that is in his soul. Most of us have safety nets around us. We have people around us. We have coping skills so that most can live a comparatively comfortable life in America. Even homeless people can go out and panhandle and I spoke with one homeless man. He said, I, I have a great life. I have a tent to live in. I like the freedom. I can go out and panhandle. In a few hours, I can pick up 40 bucks. That's enough for food for the day. That's enough to buy toothpaste, the other essentials I need. I said, if you can make $40 in three or four hours, why don't you stay out there eight hours? He said, no, I can't do that because others will know that I have money and they'll steal it from me. So I just go out and make enough money to cover my cost for the day. And that's my job to panhandle. Well, we each have the coping skills that we've established that allow us to survive. And some of you are surviving very well. Thank you very much. You've got a nice house and a nice car. You've got a job. You've got income. You have inheritance money. Or you have sold a house and you have cash. So you never really have to face the true condition of your heart. And then you listen to this broadcast, and I'm speaking about the utter sinfulness of your heart, and you're saying, what are you talking about, preacher? I'm a, I'm a good person. I get along with everybody. I enjoy life. Most of you have not come to terms with the reality of who a holy God is. And because you can live ignoring who God is, because you can live with religion and never really come to terms with the true condition of your heart, the true sinfulness of your soul, you don't really get angry at God. But when I come and I say, oh, turn the television off, turn the video games off, Stop going to the movies. Drop the football and the professional sports. Don't follow them anymore. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor? Are you crazy? These are the very things that give my soul comfort. This, I enjoy this. 
I have one dear person who absolutely loves his football. He can give you all the stats. He can talk about the players as though they were personal friends. The mere suggestion that he would need to cut off these sporting entertainment shows is a affront to him. What are you talking about, Pastor? There's nothing wrong with this. These are God's teams. Because we have many ways of comforting the soul, connecting. We never have to deal with the enmity of our heart against a holy God. This God who rules the earth, who is not bringing judgment, this God who allows us to continue walking in our sin year after year, this merciful, kind, and loving God is also a God of justice. He's a God who is holy. And he's a God who at some point is going to say, if you continue to choose to follow the inclinations of your own wicked heart, I will send you to hell. I will not save you. I will release you and let you go to your father, the devil. And there will be no hope for you. When we are faced with the reality of God's holiness, of his purity, of his unfailing love, the immediate response of the human heart is, Okay, how can I use that to my advantage? How can I use God's love to my advantage so that I can continue living the life I want to live and yet I can be accepted by God? And so we have accommodated with the formation of a gospel that's no gospel at all, a gospel that says you don't have to cut off these these roots into wickedness and into darkness and into self-pleasure. You don't have to cut those off. You can continue having those and still have God, still be religious, still, still live a normal life in America. We've been utterly deceived by the enemy. God is holy. God is just. And the day will come when he will no longer allow the sinful man who hates him. And you may say, oh, oh, pastor, pastor, wait a minute, I don't hate God. No, many of you do hate God. You've just never been confronted with the holy God of heaven. So you have a sentimental view of this God. But on the day when the angels come and collect you, And the judgment is set. And Jesus says, you never, you never came to me. You were always a lawbreaker. You never became righteous. You never allowed me to do my work in your heart. 
You never allowed me to have free access to your will. You never voluntarily gave of yourself when I sent the Holy Spirit to enable you. You instead turned to your darkness and to your self-esteem and to your self-fulfillment and to your own ambition. You turned away to the things of the devil, and you are a son of the devil. Then the anger will rise in your heart. And you will say, you are unjust. You are unfair. Look, I did all these wonderful things. I gave so much money to the church. I did this. I did that. Look. And Jesus will say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I don't even know you. I don't know you. Let me read this passage of Scripture again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who is there no condemnation for? It's those who are in Christ Jesus, those who dwell in him. It doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who are religious or for those who are half-converted, or for the cultural Christian. No, it's for those who are in Christ Jesus, and no sin can enter into Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. What is the law of sin and death? The law of sin and death is my natural enmity against God. All men have a natural enmity, a hatred for God. And if you have not dealt with a deep hatred in your heart for God, you still hate him. You may be unconscious of it. You may be unaware of it. But if you were put in the right prison setting, if you were put in the right circumstances, your heart would probably rail against the living God and say, why have you done this to me? And anger would burn in your spirit. And you would say, this is not fair. It is not just. I did not deserve this. And you would protest your innocence. But we're not innocent. The natural man is full of hatred for God. And just because that hatred has never been exposed in your heart does not mean that it is not there. If today you are walking in sin, if today there is ambition in your heart, today if you are unclean, if you are filled with your own heart's desire, today if you are shaping the world to look like you want it to shape, today if you are not utterly given over to Jesus, if you have not been crucified with Christ, then there is deep in your heart 
a buried hatred for God. It is of no use to deny the hatred of God. There is no salvation for us until we come to terms with the hatred in our heart for God. We were born hating God. We were born hating Him. From the very first moments of our life, we were grasping for ourselves. Oh, you say, that's just because that's how a baby is. Is it? I don't think so. It's how human babies are who have never understood yet the grace of Jesus Christ. The heart of man is deceitful above all things. It is wicked above all things. Our bottom line nature is self-absorption and selfishness. Remember what it said back in the early part of Romans as we've been studying in this in this book in the third chapter. It says, Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, this is Romans 3, verse 10, There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands and no one who seeks God. Please hear me. Every inclination of your heart to seek after Jesus Christ has been given to you as a gift from the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in you naturally. In your natural mind, you are utterly given to selfishness, to self-absorption, to wickedness, to carnality. There is nothing in your natural self that will seek after Jesus Christ. That only happens because of the gift of the precious blood and the gift of the Holy Spirit working in your heart. It says, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. No one will be made righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The greatest need of our heart today is to become conscious of our sin. Because until there is a consciousness of the difference between a holy and just God and my own wicked heart, There's no hope for me. Oh, you can be very religious. 
You can go through the motions. You can even be a pastor and preach the gospel. But do it out of a selfish ambition in your heart. Do it out of a position that you desire to be recognized as somebody in. Many preach the gospel today out of the flesh. I'm glad they're preaching. At least the gospel is being proclaimed, but they're preaching it out of the flesh. They're preaching it out of their own ambition and their own ego. They're preaching it out of their own desire of ascendancy. I'm, I'm still happy they're preaching because at least the gospel's being proclaimed and some sinner will hear it. The Lord will use donkeys in his work. I've seen very wicked men do wonderful things. But they're doing it out of the tree of the knowledge of good, not out of the tree of life. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. I'm very concerned about this issue. I don't know how to address it in a manner that it can be heard and understood. I've been crying out to the Holy Spirit to reveal the fullness of the just holiness of God in my own heart. The depth of our conversion, the depth of our change, will be measured by the depth of our understanding of the righteousness of God. One man will walk forward in an altar call and gladly accept Jesus and be told, now you're saved. And now you can never lose your salvation. You can go out and live however you want to live, and you're still saved. Nothing could be further from the truth. That's not how a man is saved. But he has no conception of the wickedness of his heart. He's never been confronted with the demands of the law. And so he lives in this illusionary world that he's fine, his family is fine, everything is on track, I'm successful in this life, things are going my way, I'm a happy camper, what's not to love about that? But when a man loses his job, and then he loses his house, and then he loses his car, and he is stripped bare, And he has to go live with someone else. Finally, he has to stop and say, what in the world is going on in my life? Why am I doing this? What's happening to me? And where's God? And why would he treat me this way? And the anger begins to bubble up out of the heart and a turning away from God in bitterness and anger. Just this last week, a young man came to me and said, Pastor, I'm so angry with God. I said, why? because he's not letting me have the life I need to have. Well, is getting angry with God, is that the way to get what you want? 
I had to speak quite a while with him before he would finally come around and say, you know what? No matter what happens to me, I know God is good. See, it's easy to say God is good when everything is going our way, but when we've lost everything, to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now that's another thing. I can tell you what has carried me through the last 20 years of my life. The last 20 years I have been under severe testing. Testing financially, emotionally, health-wise. The loss of my wife. I've been tested severely. There is only one thing that has carried me through this testing. And that was an absolute knowing in the depths of my soul that God is good. And that all things work for the good for those who love him, who serve him. Many times I said to the Lord, if I could see the end from the beginning, I would not choose to be led other than as you have led me. And so I worship you and I praise you and I honor you. I glorify your name through the tears and the anguish and the pain. I trust you. That cry does not come from the heart of a man or woman who is at enmity, who hates God. Instead, when everything is uncovered and the desperation sets in and the threat for for even survival exists, when you don't know when your next bite of food will come, you don't know where, how you'll even survive. I remember one night we were staying in a a day's in here in Woodbridge. We had no congregation. We had no money. We had enough money for that night for the hotel, but nothing for the next day. We had milk and graham crackers given free by the hotel that we'd save from breakfast. That was our dinner that night. My wife and I Prayed through much of the night. Our car was broken down. The brakes were gone almost totally. The license plates had expired. It was not safe to drive. If we did not have the money, we had to check out of the hotel the next morning and we would be stuck in the hotel parking lot sleeping in our car. It was as desperate a time as any other time could have possibly been. Jan finally went to bed with no answer for tomorrow. I continued praying 
Finally, in the early hours of the morning, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, go to bed. I've heard your cry. Don't check out of the hotel tomorrow, but very carefully drive your car to Maryland. Make an appointment for repairs. I'll cover the cost. So the next morning I got up and I said, Jan, we're not to check out. We're to leave our reservation for today. And we're to drive to Gaithersburg where our post office box was. The Lord said he would have some money there for us. And we are to call and make a reservation at Sears to have our brakes redone on the car. So we got in the car and began to drive. And immediately, as we got on the beltway, a policeman pulled in behind us. And I said, Jan, we've got to get off this highway. That policeman's going to stop us when he sees our license plate has expired. And Jan, full of faith, said, oh, no. The Lord didn't say to pull off. He said, go straight to the post office box. That's where we're going to go. Let's trust Jesus. The policeman did not stop us. He turned off. We continued on our way. We got to the post office box. And there were several checks there from people that had, we had not asked for a thing. There was a check there from Brother David Wilkerson from Times Square Church for $2,000. There was another check from a missionary in India who had been prompted by the Holy Spirit to send us a gift. And that was $1,000. All told, with everything, it was over $3,000 that we received that day. We were able to get the car repaired. We were able to do everything that was necessary. Then we were able joyfully to drive back to the hotel, pay for our our room for the rest of the week. And we rejoiced in Jesus' deliverance. We could have turned in bitter anger against God and said, look where you've led us. It's not fair. It's not just. Look what's happened to us. We're going to sink. We can't make it out of this. And we could have contacted family, and we could have fled to family and deserted our posts and not opened the National Prayer Chapel. It was just as we were beginning to open the National Prayer Chapel. The Lord held us steady. no anger and no bitterness in our hearts. We trusted him. We cried out to him. We called on the name of the Lord. We stood by faith that he would be our provision, and he was. And then with Jan, as she grew sick, I went to days of fasting and prayer. She grew sicker. We stood by faith. We never wavered for a moment in our faith that she would be healed. And that morning came. 
when I was holding her as she took her last breath and died in my arms. One of the last things she said to me was, Ray, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And with tears, I agreed with her. And after she passed, and I held her still form in my arms, I said, The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord does not always do for us what we desire. But again, if I knew the end from the beginning, I would not choose to be led other than as he has led me. The deep set hatred of the natural heart demands its way. And when it does not have its way, it becomes very angry. God cannot use an angry man or an angry woman. God cannot use a person who refuses to submit their will to the will of Jesus Christ. The Lord cannot use a man or woman who will not go to the cross and die and deny themselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. We very quickly move from any indication of God's wrath and God's purity and God's justice to wanting to do something just to feel good. And in the demand that everything come to us so that we could feel good, we end up with a shallow religious experience where the depths have not been plumbed and the hatred for God still hides. I would urge you, cry out to God and ask him if there is any hiding hatred of him in your heart. The hatred of God must be replaced by an abiding love for Jesus. Hatred and love for him cannot abide in the same heart. Almighty God, I pray that my dear brothers and sisters who've listened to this broadcast will earnestly cry out to you and ask if there is any hatred for you hiding in their hearts. Demands that they have made on you and are angry because you have not met their their cry. 
Lord, would you remove today the root of bitterness from every person's heart who is listening by revealing the depth of the hatred that may be hiding in their hearts. Lord, come and deal with us today in your mercy. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I invite you to participate with me by giving tithes and offerings. Even as at church they pass the offering plate, I do also on this broadcast. I don't try to give you something to entice through selfishness. I simply ask if your heart is open to Jesus and you would like to participate in helping this broadcast go to the nation, then would you send your check, your money order, or your cash in tithes and offerings to the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Would you also go to our webpage? We're redesigning it. It's nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you in Jesus. I'll talk to you soon. With great joy Now unto him who is able To keep you from falling And to present